work. Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the nine to five with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business, work is where most of life happens. For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, but around the conference table, around the water cooler, around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or a traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days in our calendars that have meaning. Every day on Mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship. talk of that a lot here at Grace Chapel, and um, our vision is to be a global community of Christ followers, awakening imagination, igniting passion, and unleashing purpose, and uh, At Work on Purpose has grown out of Grace Chapel, was birthed right here at Grace Chapel, and I know a lot of you really resonate with that video, um, and if you really resonate with that video and you've never been to an At Work on Purpose event, boy, you're, 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 it's your lucky day, because this coming Saturday... And before I forget, if I forget at the end of the service, everyone remind me of this. Uh, if you can grab as many chairs as you can at the end of the service and move them to the back, if anybody can hang out for a minute or so and help us, just grab yours and put it to the back. We're going to have the whole, all these carpets redone this week. And if your chair has a little bit of stain on it or whatever, move it to the side. We're going to have those clean as well. But this coming Saturday, this coming Saturday, we're going to have an event right here at Grace Chapel. At Work on Purpose is putting this event on. And there are people coming from all over the city, actually all over the country, to our church, um, and without even knowing it, and this week was almost one of those, it was an amazing week for me to be in my office and get phone calls, without even knowing it, Grace Chapel has become a model church for marketplace ministry, and, and the reason it's become a model for marketplace ministry 
uh, is because, number one, of At Work on Purpose. And the uh, At Work on Purpose is the largest at work, at, at the, the largest marketplace ministry in the country, okay, by far. There's nothing close to it. So we have At Work on Purpose that is a part of our body. We also have our business trees at Grace Chapel. We have, this is a business tree in a sense of business tree campus. We've designed it that way. We have a thrift store. We have the, you know, offer you uh, apparel. Um, we have a self-sustaining enterprises facility right here on the, on the property. We're doing, uh, we're licensing. We're in the process of licensing technology through self-sustaining enterprises. So all these, t- these business tree types of things are happening right here in our church. Not only that, but we've been able to, there are other churches that are doing something similar to what we're doing, about three or four in the country. But then we've also transplanted this in, another, in, a, in a developing country, Nigeria. So we have a bridal shop in Nigeria, a well drilling rig. We've drilled over 122 or so wells, serving over 100,000 people. We have an aquaponic system there. We have our chicken farm has grown from 200 chickens to 840 chickens. Um, this popcorn you see behind you, it's called Amazing. I love it. A-M-A-I-Z-I-N-G, Amazing Grace Kettle Corn. There are churches all around the Cincinnati area now. There's, a, there's kind of a, a, a business tree community that has grown up out around Cincinnati, basically inspired by, by us awakening our own imagination to how God can lead us in unique and creative ways thinking outside of the box. Other people are thinking outside of the box also. This is a very successful business tree. They use this money to, to fund ministry all around them. And it's been extremely successful. So, you know, I'm just excited to, we didn't start out to be a model for anything. We started out to basically start a business tree, uh, do marketplace ministry, but then to impact the lives of people in our own community who are needing jobs and those kinds of things, but also around the world, building a model where we can help orphans and widows pull themselves out of poverty, giving a hand up, not a hand out. And God has truly blessed us. I had calls from people all over the world this week asking if we would come to different things or talking about the model that we're using, talking about them spending time with other pastors, sharing what they learned here. One guy flew in from Hawaii, spent a week around the area talking to Chuck Proudfit. We showed him around the campus. He went back and actually had a seminar in Hawaii for all the pastors who want to learn about what we were doing. And I say that with humility because God knows my heart, and we're not doing this for any kind of recognition but it's really exciting to see that we're inspiring others to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And if we can do that, then people's lives will be changed. Better to have a whole bunch of people doing it than just one, because more lives will be transformed. But I want to encourage you with that. And I also wanted to, again, remind you that you have an opportunity just to get out of bed like you did this morning, drive over here next Saturday at 8 o'clock, and be a part of something dynamic and really unique. This has been birthed out of your church, and so you can be a part of it. Also, if you're a businessman or woman, and you're excited about what you saw in the video, why don't you give me a call this week? I would love to talk to you about how we can help help you grow and actually commission you out of this church to be a marketplace minister. All right. My little commercial is over. I just want to keep updating you on some things. I cannot wait to tell you some of the things that are in the works. I don't want to, I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver, so I'm going to wait till they're actually, the bird is in hand, not in the bush, and then share with you. So it's very difficult for me. Um, I really want to tell you what's going on, but I'm going to wait. All right, we are on 40 days in the Word. You having a good time so far? You guys liking this? 
I know last week, yeah, last week I had a, a lot of college students coming up to me and saying, Pastor Jeff, you are right on target. I go to this college or that college around here, and they said they spend, they will spend hours in the classroom, okay, over a semester uh, trying to just bludgeon God and teach us that there is no God and try to attack us for our faith. And she said it's very, he, he and she said it's very, very difficult, very difficult. So I'm going to bring back that series, uh, Conversations with a Happy Heathen, sometime this year. Because the response I get when we talk about apologetics, how to defend your faith, is overwhelming. And I know we all need it. So we'll bring that back to life here in a few months. So we're talking about 40 days in the Word. And my question for you this morning is, have you ever felt this way? Uh, Where you're reading the Bible, you say, you know what, I'll tell you what, I'm not getting much out of the Bible kind of seems a little dry to me. Uh, It's not really hitting home. I don't really understand it. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Well, if that's, if you've ever thought that before in your life, you picked a wonderful Sunday to come to church because I'm going to help you understand why you're feeling that way. I'm going to explain how you can change all that and how you can start, you start to see what God wants you to see what God wants you to see in his word. The fact is the Bible is a difficult book to understand if you don't understand the principle of illumination. The principle of illumination. Now, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning in the majority of our time. Let me, let me share a story with you to illustrate. Uh, when I was in my teens, my, I'd say middle teens, I went to visit my dad, lived in Virginia, and my dad was working on a cabin. He was building onto this cabin out in the middle of the woods. It was an awesome place to hang out. Loved it, loved it. Stream, nice mountain right on, you know, right, you go down, you're up a mountain. There's a little stream that runs along the bottom of that. I really enjoy the, just the serenity of that environment. And so he said, you know, you, there's no rooms except for this cabin. And, and downstairs, there's only two parts to the cabin, upstairs and downstairs, two big rooms. So he was building on to this cabin. And part of it was a kitchen they was building onto. And the kitchen had just, just, uh, uh, um, uh, glass all around windows all around the entire kitchen it was beautiful but it wasn't finished so concrete floor the you know the windows all the way around and uh you know when it gets dark out in out in the woods you know what i mean out in the wilderness when it gets dark it gets dark okay there's no lights from the city there's no street lights whatever it gets really dark so i had my sleeping bag and i was sleeping out in this kitchen half finished kitchen and uh when it gets really dark and it gets really quiet you can hear a pin drop. Your mind starts playing tricks on you sometimes. Well, in this case, my mind didn't really start playing tricks. These things were actually noises. These actually happened. I was laying there, and I heard this rustle, rustle, rustle. I couldn't tell if the rustling, it seemed like it was coming from outside. It was, you know, a light, you know, rustle, 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 some either leaves or a paper or something. Just, you know, something was stepping on something and making this noise. And I'm laying there, it's pitch dark, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, do I... I'm going to lay here quietly and listen. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm not hearing this, but maybe, you know, maybe it's just my imagination. But no, the rustling kept on going, and then all of a sudden there was like scratching. Now, you have to understand, I've seen uh, mountain lion tracks down by the stream. I've seen bear tracks down by the stream. So my mind starts going, okay, what, what, what is actually scratching on this window, a bear or a mountain lion? That's what I'm thinking. All right, what am I going to have to deal with? So I'm laying there thinking, I hope this just goes away, but it didn't. It just kept on scratching and scratching. I'm thinking, okay, I... I've got to get up and turn this light on because if I'm going to have to face this, I want to face it with the light on, see what I'm facing, either the bear or the mountain lion. So I ran over, I turned the light on, and I went over, and there was a little mouse running around the little side in the edge there, making, you know, rustling through the, the deal. And I was thinking, you know, well, I chased him out because I'm tough, and I chased that mouse out of there. 
and, uh, you know, scared him off. You know, that big, that big hairy mouse that was, you know, causing all the problems. And but the window, I looked out the window and, and with the light on, I could see the branch scratching against the window in the wind, as the wind blew it, scratching against that window. But see, I couldn't see that when the lights were all off. I couldn't see that in the darkness. But man, the brighter the bulb, the more clarity you have. The brighter the bulb, the brighter the bulb, it increases your clarity. So now I could see. I could see what was going on. I could see the mouse rustling inside. That wasn't too, you know, encouraging anyway, having a mouse run around while you're trying to sleep, you know. Not that it can kill you or anything, but it's just bothersome to think the mouse is going to crawl in your, eat your brain or whatever. Um, <laughs> you know what you think when you're, you know. So, uh, so but, the, but the, brighter, the, the brighter the bulb, the more the clarity. And that's true with God's word. That's true in God's word. The more light, the more enlightened your mind, the more illuminated your mind, the more that you can see and understand the word of God. So what is illumination? Well, illumination is, is the Holy Spirit bringing the Bible, helping you understand the meaning of the Bible and how it applies to your life. So it's the Holy Spirit helping you see more clearly opening up your eyes to understand the Bible and then how the word of God, the Bible, applies to your life. The Holy Spirit illuminates the Bible for us. It helps us see things in this book that we wouldn't see otherwise. Things that we, we are missing. There's so much that we're missing in the word of God because our eyes are not opened. Our minds are not illuminated. Our minds are not enlightened. We cannot see it. It's like getting a toy when you're a little kid, getting a toy for your birthday that doesn't have the batteries with it. If you get a toy for your birthday and the batteries are not included, it's still a toy. It's still a toy, but it doesn't function as good as it could function because it needs the power of that battery to run, to really do what it was designed to do, to fulfill its, its you know, ultimate ability so you can still have a toy, it's still a toy, but you know what? It doesn't have the same it doesn't have the same impact. It doesn't have its full potential. So God gives us the Holy Spirit. And God says, I, I I've not only given you revelation, but I've given you inspiration. I've given you revelation to the Spirit, I've given you inspiration to help you understand, to identify, to interpret the things in the Word of God, so that you can see that you can open your eyes and see what you haven't seen before. That's the Spirit's job. That's what the Spirit does. In John chapter 14 and verse 26, it says this, Jesus said, The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit helps us understand the truth of the Bible. So how does illumination work then? Okay, you have this illumination, this lightning of the mind. How does it work? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 explains it to us. It says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that's illuminated, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He says the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your heart. Well, what's he talking about there? Well, what he's talking about is when you were physically born, all the things that you learned were from the five senses that God has given you, the physical senses. So everything you learn in life are from the senses that God has given to you. When you are born again, when you are spiritually reborn into God's family, God gives you another set of senses, another set. 
You can begin, you get, you get, you, he gives you spiritual ears so that you can hear things that you haven't heard before, that you, you've never heard before. He gives you spiritual eyes and, 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 and you're like, wow, for the first time I can actually see things in life that I've actually never seen before. You can feel things that you've never felt before. Experience things you've never experienced before. It's like putting on a, a, pair, a new pair of glasses and, and, and a pair of lenses and seeing things for the first time. I've said this before, but when I, when I first, um, when I was younger, from, from whenever, you know, fifth, sixth grade through high school, my philosophy of life was, and I was well thought through, I've said this to you before, I hate everyone I don't know and I hate most people I do know. That's the way I live my life. That's the way I, what I thought. And it was based upon the fact of growing up and going in different environments and how people treated other people and specifically in those environments, me. So in my philosophy, is I hate everyone I don't know. Everyone I don't know is a threat to me. And everyone I do know, a lot of people I do know, I hate them anyway because I've had confrontation with them already. I love the people around me, but oh, that's my philosophy of life. Then something happened to me. When I was 17 years old, end of my senior year, uh, you've heard my testimony before, but I, I went on a retreat and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I prayed and I gave my life to Christ. After a lot of thought, a lot of talk to my youth pastor, I read a lot and all, I said, you know what? I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus is who he said he was. I gave my life to Christ. I lifted my head from my prayer and my life, my my mind changed. My thoughts changed. God in, in, imparted into me wisdom and said, the reason people are the way they are, don't hate them because they have a sinful nature. People are born with a sinful nature. And if they don't have a relationship with me, that nature continues and it will continue to, to rule their lives. People say all the time, oh, they people are really good at heart. No, they're not. You're created in the image of God, so you can do good things because you're created in the image of God. Whether Christian or non-Christian, non-Christians do a lot of good things because they're created in the image of God. But our sinful nature rules, continues to rule, if we don't have the Lord in our lives. And so I realized that, and instead of having an attitude of, I hate everyone I don't know, and I hate most people I do know, I began to realize they need Christ in their lives. Lord, use me. Use me to share my testimony with them. Use me to help them to see you so their lives can be changed. They don't have the bitterness. Help them overcome their addictions. Help them overcome their, their habits. Help them overcome their past, Lord God, and the things that are making them even more bitter. And I, that's the way I live my life. Because I understood I was, my eyes were open. I could see what I couldn't see before. See, we actually live in two different worlds. We live in the physical world, which we can see, but we also live in the spiritual world, which we cannot see. And it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now, enlightened, that word, the Greek word for enlightened is potizo. And potizo is where we get the word photo from. And a photo is basically what? Light on, a, it's, it's light shining on a piece of paper or through digitization. So you have that photo. So it's a light shining. And what he's basically saying, to enlighten means to shine the light on something. The light is shined on something. And you say to yourself, wait a second. I, now I can see something I hadn't seen before. Wait, I can, I understand why people act the way they act now. That makes sense to me. My worldview has changed because my eyes have been opened and I know why people, behave the way they behave because we have a sinful nature and people need to know God they need to know Christ so they can overcome that sinful nature 
It's like when you're reading your Bible and you say, and you, how, how many, and don't raise your hand because everyone raised their hand. How many times you read the Bible and you're like, wait, now it makes sense. I've never seen that before. I, I've read this so many times and now, wait, that, that, I understand it. Or you're reading and go, boy, that's incredible. I, I needed to hear that. I needed that right now. You know, you, you open up your Bible, you start reading the Word of God, and you're going through something, and all of a sudden you see something that perfectly fits with what you're going through. How many of you have said to me, uh, man, Pastor Jeff, you're like a fly on the wall of our house. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. How many people have said, and just so you know, I can't see, you're in the back. You could be your wife or your husband. I have no idea. So I'm not staring at you, I promise. When I look back, I'm not really staring at any one individual. But people say, man, look, everybody else could have been gone in that entire room. It's like you were preaching right to me. You know why I was, and here's another thing that's amazing. People will say that and they'll say, here's why. They will share with me something that I never even thought about when I was preaching. I, didn't, I wasn't going that direction. Not that they were wrong. Not that they're, in, 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 they're, they're, they're opposed to what I was saying. But God showed them something through his word that applied specifically to them that wasn't in the theme of what I was talking about. But it was perfect for them because it was a story. It was a scripture. It was something I said. And the Holy Spirit spoke to that person because that's why they were here that morning. And he pulled that out just for them. That is true. Every time you say that, that's what's happening. And so you're looking at the Bible and you say, man, I, I, I completely understand that. That's exactly what I needed. That's what happens when your eyes are open. That's what happens when your eyes are illuminated. That's what God is talking about. When you can see things you didn't see before, it's another sense. You get that understanding. So let me, here's another question. We'll kind of get into this. What, what actually happens when God opens, besides this, I'm going to go further, when God opens our spiritual eyes? What are some other things that happen? I want to spend the majority of our time on that particular subject, and I'm going to share a few stories to illustrate. Now, when God opens your spiritual eyes, when you see things as he wants you to see them first, the first thing that happens is you see the solution to your problems. You see the solution to your problems. You're going through something right now. You are completely at a loss of how you're going to overcome this. But the first thing that happens is you see the solution to your problems. And the story that I'm going to share with you comes from Genesis chapter 21. And it's a story most of you have heard before. It's Abraham and Sarah. God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. He's an old man at this time. And he says, the way I'm going to make you a great nation is I'm going to give you a child. And, uh, and Sarah and Abraham are very old at this point, 80s. And, uh, and, and Sarah basically uh, says, uh, are you kidding me? Have you seen this body? Do you think this body can carry a baby, number one, and then give birth? I don't think so. Um, so Sarah comes along and says, you know, Abraham, said, God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a child, um, all these things. Sarah says, uh, no. He, she says, I have an, I have, let me give you a plan B. Because may, God, may, God may have said, we're going to have a child, but there's another way to have a child. So she's, here's plan B. She says, why don't you take my handmaiden, Hagar, and then you can marry her also and then have a child. She'll be the surrogate mother, and that's how we'll fulfill all that God has for us. So Hagar gets pregnant with Abraham's child. Now, you know, sometimes you read the Bible and you go, what the heck is that? Blah, blah, blah. And you think, I don't care. God's just telling us what happened in the Bible. He's not saying he agrees with it. You know, if something happens in the Word of God, you sometimes say, I can't believe God. God's just expressing what happened, not that he is going along. That was Sarah's plan. It wasn't God's plan. So the baby's born. This is Sarah's plan. Plan B is her plan, not God's plan. And the baby's name is Ishmael. Okay? 
So he's born, and, and Abraham takes him, and God says, well, you know, that's not, the, that's not the promised child that I had for you, but, you know, I'm going to make Ishmael into a great nation as well. Later on, by a miracle, Sarah does get pregnant. She gives birth to Isaac. Okay, Isaac becomes the father of the nation of Israel. And what I find what's interesting, too, we can't talk about it a lot this morning at all. Well, you can go look it up yourself. But Isaac is the father of the nation Israel. Ishmael becomes the father of all the Arab nations. Take, the, take it into your own hands and see what happens. Sarah, Sarah starts getting jealous, though, once this all happens. So you've got Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael's older than Isaac. Sarah says she starts to get jealous. She's looking around. She's thinking human, and she's saying, well, what if Abraham, he's the firstborn. What if he gets the inheritance? What if Abraham starts to, to like him or whatever else? She says, I can't have Ishmael competing with my son. So she, takes, she tells Hagar and Ishmael to get out, kick him out. We'll pick up the story in chapter, uh, four, in chapter 21, verse 14. Of Genesis. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water. They made, they made uh, canteens out of animal skins at this time and gave it to Hagar and set, them on her, and set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her own and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water, when the water and the skins was gone, she put the boy Ishmael under one of the bushes then she, sat, uh, she, then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bow's shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar and, uh, from heaven and said, What is the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he, is, as he lies there. Lift the boy and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then listen to verse 19. Okay, this is what we always read by. We read these stories and don't get, we don't get it. Verse 19. Then God opened her eyes, it says, and she saw a well of water. So she went and she filled the skin with the water and gave the boy a drink. Here's the point. She had the solution right in front of her, this well of water. The solution to her problem was right there in front of her, but she could not see it until God opened up her eyes. Until she was, her mind was illuminated. She couldn't see it until her eyes were opened. And then, and then she was able to see it from a different perspective. See, you may have a problem right now in your life, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I don't, I don't see a solution to my problem. I don't see an answer. I don't see a solution. I don't see how I'm going to, I don't know how I'm going I'm to get out of this. And the reason you're struggling is because many times your mind is not illuminated. Your mind is not illuminated. Your whole, the Holy Spirit has not enlightened your mind. You, you, need to, you, need, you need him to open your spiritual eyes so you can see the solution to your problem within the word of God, God's word. All scripture is God-breathed and used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Everything you need is in the word of God. You need to ask God to illuminate your mind, to open up your eyes, to see things that you can't see. Even Christians sometimes, we need to be asking God, God, show me, open my eyes, Illuminate my mind, enlighten my mind so I can see what you want me to see. When God opens your eyes, you see resources that were literally right in front of you that you couldn't see otherwise. You're looking. I mean, she's right there. It's not like God just snapped his fingers and it says, by a miracle, a well appeared out of nothing. And then she, she, she couldn't see it. 
And then God opens her eyes and she can see it. She can see what she couldn't see before because God imparted into her mind. He opened up her eyes. She was crying out and God spoke to her. My dad who went, has gone through a spiritual up and down for most of his life. He's walking with the Lord very strongly now. But when he was 10 years old, he was like the church mouse. You couldn't get him out of church. Went to church four or five days a week. Loved to go to church. Then something happened to church. A lot of you can probably raise your hand and say, yep, that's me too. Someone did something to him in church that kind of just destroyed his faith. Some behavior that destroyed his faith, not abuse or anything, but a lie, a lie. And he realized it was a lie. And he said, if this is the way it is, then this is all baloney. The whole thing's baloney. So he walked away for, from God for, you know, about 50 years where, he, you know, he, he, I think if you talked to him and said, do you believe in God? He'd say yes. You believe in Jesus? Said yes. But he walked away from God for about 50 years and he was driving down the road. And this was a few years ago, not very, very long, a few years ago. And he's driving down the road in his, in his, in his truck, and, he, and, he's, and he's saying to God, he's going through a really difficult time in his life. He's got a lot on his mind. He's got so many issues he's going through. He's got some big, some big things that are happening in his life that he can't figure out how to get over them, how to find the solution to it. And he's driving, and the Holy Spirit's speaking to him. And so he says, you know, if there's a God, if you're God, why don't you tell me the answer to my problem? Why don't you give me the answer, the solution to my problem? If you're there, why don't you speak to me? And he said it was like a, a, a download, a, a computer download, and God just downloaded all, downloaded all the answers that he needed for his problems right then and there. He shook his fist. He said to God, why, if you're there, why don't you speak to me? And God said, you know what? I'm going to. And he downloaded all this information at one time and answered all of his problems, solved all of his issues. My dad said he was so overwhelmed, the hair was standing up on the back of his neck, and he said he pulled off on the side of the road because he was breaking down emotionally because God had spoken to him. God had enlightened him. God opened his eyes to show him things he hasn't seen in years and years and years. Because he was enlightened. God spoke. He was, his spiritual eyes were open. His spiritual ears could hear. And emotionally he felt things that he had never felt or he hadn't felt in years. That is what we're talking about. That is what God can do. The second benefit to having your eyes spiritually open is you see the barrier to your problems. You see the barrier to your progress, to the problems that you have and the progress that you want to make. So you see the barrier to your progress. That's the second thing that happens in your life when God opens your eyes. You not only see the solution to your problem, but you see the barrier to your progress. Now, you have some things in your life that you want to accomplish, that you want to do, that you've been, you've been planning on doing, about starting a business, starting a family, getting out of debt. Um, you know, you have this dream, that you have this dream that's on your heart. But you've been trying to make progress on all these things. And you've said, you said to yourself, I've tried everything I possibly can. I've done all that I can. I use all of my power, my wisdom, my strength to do this. And I still, I feel like I'm bumping up against this invisible wall. I don't know what to do. I've done my best, but I'm not making any progress. I'm not making any progress. You need to open up the eyes of your heart. You need to open up your eyes. You need your eyes to be illuminated. You need to ask God to show you what you cannot see. Sometimes what's literally right in front of you, but you're, on, you're using your own strength, your own power, your, your human eyes, your human ears, your human everything, and you're not using the senses that God has given you. Remember the story of Balaam and his donkey in Numbers 22? Okay, Balaam is a prophet. 
But Balaam decides he's going to go hang out and, and work with these other guys, the wrong kind of guys. And so God speaks to him and, and God says to him, hey, Balaam, you know what? You're my, you're my representative. Why are you going to go and, and hang out with these guys? So, so Balaam, as he goes off with them, and you read that and you say, wait a second, God told him he could go. But the reason, God, the reason that God got angry when Balaam actually went off is because it's not, what you, it's not seeing, again, spiritual eyes. It's not seeing just what happened on the physical side. God knew his motives. God knew his intent. God knew his heart. And that's why God was angry. Balaam's heart was not in the right place. His motives were not right. His intent was not right. So this is what it picks up. So God puts an angel in his path to stop his progress. If, God, if you're doing something God doesn't want you to do, he is going to stop your progress. So we pick up the story in Numbers 22, 22. But God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, see, the donkey could see it, but Balaam couldn't see it. His eyes were not open. She turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. He was ticked. He's like, donkey, what is wrong with you? You know what I mean? You dopey donkey, get back on the road. Donkey, not dopey. He sees, you know, angel of the Lord standing with a sword. Donkey's going to take another path. Second thing, it says this in verse 24. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with the walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat her again. But here's the deal. We will always get hurt when we try to do something that God doesn't want us to do. You will always be hurt in some way. Okay, and that's not God inflicting it upon you sometimes. That's just God will judge and God will discipline sometimes, but sometimes it's the enemy. Sometimes it's just you, your choice, your behavior. But you're going to get hurt if you do something that God doesn't want you to do. Balaam doesn't see what's going on. He looks at his donkey. He's like, donkey, what, what is wrong with you? Why did you do that? Why did you go push yourself up against the wall and crush my foot against the wall, you dopey donkey? And he takes his stick out and starts beating her again. He's angry. He's ticked. He's kind of lost his mind a little bit here. He's really frustrated. This donkey's really taking him off. Third time around, verse 26. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. That's a smart donkey right there. (laughs) Donkey's like, I have nowhere to go. I'm just going to lay down right here and submit myself to whatever this angel is. I'm just going to lay right here. And she lays down and Balaam's on top. Well, Balaam It says, you know, it says that, uh, and he was angry and he beat her with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answers the donkey. I would have said, what the heck are you doing talking, donkey? (laughs) It's like, holy crap, my donkey's talking. Balaam's so ticked, he doesn't, he's, can you imagine he gets so ticked off, he's like, you made a fool out of me, well you're talking to a donkey, so that's not hard, you made a fool out of me, if, you had, if I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now, and you dopey donkey, I added that part, and, and a donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day, have I been in the habit of doing this to you, Balaam's like, no, he says, no, no. So here, here's another thing, man. When you, when, the, low point in your li- the low point in your life is when you lose an, arm, an ar- argument to a donkey, okay? That's the low <laughs> You know you've hit rock bottom when you're arguing with a donkey. And, I, and, and all the jokes that are coming at this service, bring them on, because I heard them at the first service. 
<laughs> if you lose an argument with dung, does that make you whatever? And uh, it went on and on and on. So he, he loses the argument with the donkey. So here, here, now, now look at verse 31, though, okay? Look at verse 31. This is what we, again, we read past this all the time. Verse 31, then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. His eyes were illuminated. He could see what he couldn't see before. He saw what the problem was. And it says, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing on the road with his sword drawn. And what is Balaam's response once he sees the angel of the Lord standing there? Once he can see, it says this, so he bowed low and fell face down. When your progress is being blocked, my friends, you have one of two options. You can get angry, which is what we usually do. You can get angry and make all kinds of foolish mistakes and do something foolish, do something just ridiculous, do something kind of idiotic. You, that's what you can do. You can, when, when, when that happens to you, you have one of two choices. You get angry and you do something foolish or you ask the Lord to open your eyes. You ask the Lord God to open up your eyes. You're going through something right now and you can't figure out why can't I make progress and you're ticked, and you're shaking your fist at God, you're shaking your fist at everyone around you, the whole world stinks, blah, 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 but what you're, you're getting angry, and you're angry at everyone and everything, but what you're not doing is you're not asking God to open up your eyes. When God opens my eyes, I can see the solution to my problem. When God opens my eyes, I can see the barrier to my progress. And then I say, oh, oh, now that makes sense. Now that makes sense. This all makes sense. Didn't make sense before because you were doing it all from a human perspective. You couldn't see. You weren't asking God to open your eyes. Now you can see it. The third benefit of being able to see with spiritual eyes is ha- and, and having your mind illuminated is this. You see how God is walking with you. How many of us, when you first got saved, they, someone gave you a Bible and they gave you a laminated card with the f- footprints in the sand on it, right? It's one of the first things you get, all right? You get your Bible and footprints in the sand. I love it. It's the first thing, one of the first things I, I, I'd received from my youth pastor. I got that, and one of the kids came over and gave me the footprints in the sand. And I kept it in my Bible. And basically what it says is, you know, it's like a poem. The guy walking down the, the, the beach, and, and the person's saying, you know, let's look, at, we're walking side by side. But he says, hey, wait a second, Lord. There were times that I remember when I only saw one set of footprints. Where were you? And God says, no, no, you're misunderstanding. That's when I had you on my back. When you see one set of footprints, that's when I was carrying you. I wasn't, go- I wasn't gone. I was carrying you. You need to remember, you need to remember that God is always there with us. He's been there all along. We just don't see it sometimes because for some reason, Christians, we turn it off. Okay, our spiritual eyes, our spiritual ears, the senses that God has given us, we turn those off. And as a non-believer, you just, you just don't have them. See, you're saying to yourself, mm, you know, I, I don't really know what's going on in my life right now. I, I, I'm trying to encourage you and saying, you know, God is with you all the time. He's there. He's carrying you on his back. You're saying, well, I don't, I don't see it. I don't understand it. I, don't, I feel like I'm going through life alone. I feel like I'm going through this battle all by myself. If you think that you're walking alone, if you think you're doing it all on your own, you are dead wrong. You are dead wrong. God is there with you. You are not alone. You're not going through this alone. And you need to ask God, God, show me your presence. Illuminate my mind. Open up my eyes so that I can see you. 
So now the last question I want to answer is how do we, how is it that we can get our minds illuminated? How is it that we can get our eyes opened? And the first thing we need to do is have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. That is the first thing. That's the starting point. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you are spiritually blind. You are spiritually blind and you don't have any hope of seeing things from God's point of view. If you don't have a personal relationship with him, then you are spiritually blind and you cannot. You have no hope of seeing things from God's perspective. You need the connection first. You need, as the Bible says, to be born again. They say born again Christians. What does that mean? That's what it means. It means to be born again into God's family. Until you have that relationship with God, the Bible says you're spiritually dead. I mean, you're like a dead person. You can only see things from a human perspective. That's what the Bible says. You wonder sometimes, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. There's a reason you don't get it. Because you can't get it from the outside looking in. You need to be on the inside. Have that relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Listen to the words. A man without the Spirit, that means you don't know Christ, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The next time you're with a family member or with a friend and they don't understand what you're saying and they're ridiculing you, don't be angry with them. Don't get angry. Don't attack them verbally because they don't get it or they're attacking you. Don't respond that way. They can't see it. It's foolishness to them. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel, the light, right? The light, the illumination of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They just can't see it. I didn't see it. You didn't see it. No one can see it. See, no one sees it until they cross that line, until you make that step of faith. You take that step of faith in Jesus Christ. You just don't see it. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, wait a second. The blinders have fallen off. Now, I, that makes sense. All of a sudden the blinders, the scales come off your eyes. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 3, in verse 3, he says this, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. That's what Jesus said. No one can see with spiritual eyes the kingdom of God and all that's going around the spiritual realm around you. You can't see that unless you are born again. The second thing that you, you, have, you have to do is you have to ask God in faith to open your eyes. Some of you who know Christ need to do that as well. You need to ask God to open your spiritual eyes, to open your spiritual ears so that you can make progress in what God is calling you to do. And so the second thing you need to do is open, is ask by faith for God to open your eyes. You need to pray Psalm 119 and verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see the wonders of your law, your wonderful law. When we do that, God promises in Psalm 32 and verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the ways you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. I will counsel and watch over you. But I've got to ask in faith. All those things are true. All of those things are ours to take. But first, we have to ask in faith for God to open up our eyes. And that's what I want to close with this morning. Bow your heads with me, if you would. Bow your heads with me. Holy Spirit, be present with us. The Bible says to ask, to ask. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7, 7, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open unto you. Ask, seek, 
knock. We've got to reach out to God. We've got to ask God to come into our lives. Romans 10.9 tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. If that is your desire this morning, to have Christ, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then I want you to pray a simple prayer with me. You don't have to pray it out loud. I want you to pray a simple prayer in your heart. Just the, the prayer has no magic. It is what's in your heart that truly has the magic. It's what's in your heart that, that makes the difference. I want you to pray this simple prayer with me if you want for the first time in your life to ask Christ to come into your life. Just pray, God, I want you to open my eyes. God, I want you to remove the roadblocks. I no longer want to be separated from you. I want to know you personally. I want Jesus to come into my heart. I know that I'm a sinner. I don't need Pastor Jeff or some, even a Bible to tell me that I'm not perfect. And because of my, my imperfection, I'm separated from you. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, I can have a relationship with you. Your blood covers me. So that when the Father sees me, first he sees his Son covering me, standing in front of me. God, I ask that your spirit would come into my life, that you would enlighten my mind, enlighten my heart. Illuminate, Lord, my mind. Open my eyes. Allow your Holy Spirit to show me what I'm missing. To, I want to experience spiritual gifts that I've never experienced before. I may be great in business. I may be a great parent. I may be really good at all these things. But God, with you, I can be so much more. You've created me to be so much more and do so much more. I want your Holy Spirit to open up that, those parts of my mind and my eyes and my ears and my feelings that have not been opened before. I want that in my life and I want it now. I want to see life through your eyes, through your lenses. Jesus, come into my heart. I want this to be my spiritual birthday. I'm going to be born twice, one physically and one spiritually, and today is my spiritual birthday. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, very quickly, if you just put your hand up and then put it back down with everybody else's heads bowed, outstanding, awesome. Praise God. Fantastic. God, we know that angels in heaven are rejoicing because of those who have come to know you. And we pray, dear God, that you would strengthen each of those who have made that commitment to you. Thank you, Lord God, that there are people here this morning that can say for the first time in their lives, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. 
praise you, dear God. I praise you, Lord, for their lives. And pray that you would strengthen them, help them to grow, help them to connect it to other people within the church where they can grow in their spiritual walk. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.